May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Uh, At the end of last week, I was having a conversation with uh, Cliff and Debbie McCauley about why I offer the talks I do about the Battle of Gate Park to the various groups that come through our church. And I talked about the need to change the stories we use to describe the beginning of our relationship between Māori, the Tangata Whenua, the people of the land, and Europeans, particularly the settlers. Too often in the past, we've talked about Māori being ignorant, warmongering savages who we saved, uh, uh, particularly the European settlers, saved uh, when we brought peace and education and economic advancement. It's a narrative that has been used for the last 150 years, and we still hear people, and particularly politicians, talk about that today. But there are a number of problems with that story. It doesn't really match what happens. When we talk about Māori being warmongering and us being peaceful, we ignore the fact that there were wars going on which Europeans fought amongst themselves Uh, In Europe, so there's the Crimean War and the Franco-Prussian War and then the First World War, and then there were the wars that Europeans started or fought in elsewhere, which was all about expanding or cementing their colonial endeavours. And so uh, we can include in that the wars in Afghanistan, which were as successful as wars in Afghanistan are today, and uh, the wars in India and Africa. Uh, particularly the first war that um, New Zealand settlers went to fight in for the British Empire, the Anglo-Boer War, uh, which was all about uh, Britain's uh, expanding its empire in Southern Africa. And, uh, and then the First World War, which in part was about France and Britain's desire to carve up the Ottoman Empire. It also ignores the desire by Māori both for peace at the end of the Musket Wars and their desire for education and economic advancement on their own terms, and uh, the role of the missionaries, that, that the role that the missionaries played in providing that. And so in Tauranga, before the settlers arrived in significant numbers, Māori were already more educated than the average European settler arriving here in New Zealand. And they were already using European technology to farm, and they were exporting their produce on the world market. European settlement did not bring peace and education and economic benefit. In Tauranga, as in many places across New Zealand, it brought violence, land loss, and deprivation. So part of why I tell that story is so we can understand our story and reframe that story. That story has been retold That story of violence, land loss, and deprivation has been retold around the world. The cost to Indigenous people of European colonisation has been catastrophic in places. Uh, And we often ignore that. Um, One of the the most chastening moments uh, when Bonnie and I went through the Museum of African American History in Washington Uh, three years ago was uh, the little piece right at the beginning of the story about the first European encounters with the Africans on the West Coast. Uh, And in my head, I always had this picture of Africans being reasonably primitive. 
And it turned out that those civilizations, probably across Africa, if we're honest, but certainly those civilizations were very advanced. And the beginnings of that trade was for the products that they created. It was only after a while that then they began to trade in human flesh and force those West Africans to capture and sell other Africans for use on the slave fields. And I found that, uh, well, a humbling moment that my own thinking about Africans had been shaped by the stories that I had heard. And I'd never really questioned those. We need to tell different stories about our past and offer different ways of understanding our relationship with each other here in Aotearoa, New Zealand and around the world so that we can create a different future for each other. And we desperately, desperately need imagination in how we construct that. So that's a, that's a heavy and slightly controversial way to start this sermon, uh, which in part has come out of uh, our synod last weekend and some of the work that we as Franciscans have been doing around climate change. Increasingly around the world, Anglican churches are talking about the role of colonialism in creating our current crisis. British colonialism was built on the assertion that the Englishman was superior to all others, including Welsh, Scottish and Irish, but especially to non-white people. And that attitude is alive and well today in this country and around the world. European colonialism came with an assumption of the right and even the need for Europe to dominate, rule, and use all other people and creation. It saw all else, people, animals, plants, minerals, this world that we share, simply as a resource to be used for the benefit of the colonial masters. And it used Genesis, the Genesis 1 command to have dominion over all creation to justify treating God's gift as only a source of raw materials and a place to dump waste. I've listened to church leaders talk about environmental needs playing second fiddle to economic requirements. And I can still remember my dad uh, making me take a photograph one day when we were on holiday of a bumper sticker that said, if you lose your job, eat an environmentalist. Financial gain has always been seen as the primary need. Today, colonialism has been replaced with globalization, but the assumptions are largely the same. And the result is that we have lost our sense of connection with this world. What happens to this world for many people is of no importance. Our economic advancement is all that matters. The stories we have told that shape our relationship with this world have lost any sense of our belonging to the web of life or being dependent on that web for our own health. The result is climate change, biodiversity loss, and life-threatening pollution. The result 
is the current pandemic that we are living through. The result is drought, huge wildfires, massive storms, and flooding. It is time to change how we talk about our relationship with this world. And for that, we need a God-given imagination. We need to listen to those who have never lost the sense of connection with creation, particularly the indigenous people here in the Pacific and around the world. And we need to re-engage with the biblical picture of humanity being created in the image of the creating and life-giving God to continue the work of creating and caring for this world, God's gift, our common home. And that requires reading scripture in some ways that we might not be used to. So I want to talk uh, about two of the texts we listened to today. You kind of have to talk about Esther this Sunday. Uh, We only hear Esther for one Sunday every three years and only on the the version of the uh, Old Testament readings that we're currently um, going through, which is the uh, semi-continuous. If you're on the kind of linked to the gospel reading version, then you never get to hear Esther, which is a pity because Esther is such an amazing story. It's the story of a young Jewish woman who was taken to be the wife of the Persian king, the Persian emperor, the all-powerful Persian emperor. And in the face of the extermination of her people, she must reimagine her place in that court from an object of desire with no voice to the kind of strong woman that we heard described last week in the book of Proverbs. She had to reimagine her place there, uh, not just as a chattel, but having been placed in the palace for such a time as this. And she takes an enormous risk She was not allowed to enter the king's presence without being summoned. To do so could lead to her death. And yet she takes that risk. And the king listens. And she shows wisdom and imagination with Mordecai's help to create a way that she can tell the king what his chief advisor, his prime minister, Harman, has planned, the extermination of the Jewish people. And to turn the tables on Harman and redeem her people. That courage, that wisdom and compassion are still celebrated today by Jews all around the world in the festival of Purim, which is uh, this year was celebrated around the end of February, the beginning of March. It's one of the high holy days in the Jewish calendar. For us, Esther offers a model of the kind of courage and wisdom and imagination that we need today. She also offers us a chance to honestly reflect on where we are in our current plight and our role in our current story. Are we one of Harmon's supporters working for death and destruction? Or are we like the king, duped to begin Duke to begin with, but then able to see the light? Or are we like those many Persians in the court who could see what was happening, but 
really were unable to imagine what could be done? Or are we like those who quietly supported the young Esther, like Harbona, one of the eunuchs, who was in attendance to the king? Or are we like the unseen Jews in the story who were oblivious to the peril they were in or knew it and felt powerless to change anything? What do we do with all of that? This Sunday was also our last reading from the letter from James. As I said five weeks ago, for James, theology is not to be thought about, but it was to be lived out. And for James, true holiness was not the absence of bad things, but living God's compassion, loving God and neighbor. And I said five weeks ago that neighbor includes all the rest of creation. He wrote this letter as an invitation to live in such a way that his brothers and sisters, wherever they were in the world, would bring healing and health to their communities. And this week he finishes his letter with an encouragement to not only act, but to pray. Prayer had to be the basis out of which action came. But the kind of prayer he was talking about wasn't to just pray for, but to lament, to confess, to praise, and to pray prayers of intercession and healing. Prayer is about being honest with God. And being honest with God includes praising God for the gift of this world and its wonder expressing our joy and delight in being part of the marvelous web of life and giving thanks that we are created in the image of the creating and life-giving God. But it also includes lamenting what is happening in this world and our feelings of powerlessness and maybe hopelessness in the face of such vast issues. It includes confessing that we have and continue to contribute to what is happening in our common home through our thoughts, the way that we have thought about our relationship with this world, the way that we have thought about our relationship with other people in this world, and through our actions, what we have done and what we have not done. And it includes prayers for healing for ourselves, for all those parts of creation, human and non-human, that are suffering the effects of climate change, biodiversity loss, and pollution. And finally, it includes praying that creation might thrive, praying for all those who have the power to make a difference, political and business leaders, and all those who are gathering at the UN conferences this year on biodiversity loss and climate change. Praying for all those advocacy groups working to both raise our awareness and acting to bring change. 
And for all those who are working in the political and scientific level and praying for business leaders and farmers and all those working to change how we work and live. And it includes praying for all those who are resisting change, either because they can't imagine living in another way or because of their vested interests. They're making too much money in the way things are and they simply don't want to let that go. And lastly, we need to pray for the the young people who continue to highlight the urgency of this issue in the face of reluctance and the forces of business as usual. So this week, we are invited to have a greater imagination to see things in a different way and to act out of that and to pray, pray and pray some more. So let us know that God is working among all these people. God is seeking change. And let us know that we have a role to play in all of this. We have a role to help reimagine our relationships with this world and to provide the ground for why we need to change. And we have a role praying and acting with people of faith, of all faiths around the world, helping to change the way we describe our relationship with this world. Helping to see this world as God's gift to be treasured and healed so that all may thrive. So I want to finish uh, by um, offering a chance for you to think about that and to pray about that as we listen to uh, some music that has been written uh, in England for uh, churches to use in the upcoming, uh, as they pray about uh, the upcoming COP26 conference. <laughs> 